Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. It's 9.04. Good morning. I'm Michelle Martin. Asia-Pacific markets are trading in the red again this morning following Wall Street's worst session since June. Tokyo is trading down more than 1%. Sydney and Seoul both off about half a percent. Joining me now as we break down all the market action. Ryan, it's Tuesday, but it feels like Monday, doesn't it? Uh, it does. Uh, it is quite a busy day for headlines. Not to chew on. Let's start with a company you've likely never heard of, a healthcare platform in the United States. It's called Signify Health. Now, while Signify has been going about its business, it's become the target of a bidding war between some big names, including CVS, United Health, and now Amazon. Signify Health shares surged more than 30% overnight on news that Amazon is making a bid for it. Signify Health Ryan has a market cap about five billion US dollars, but this bidding war could value the company at eight billion. That is a huge jump. So tell us more. Yeah, it really shows how much these big boys are valuing this potential target. So you've got the big boys in the form of Amazon, the likes of CVS, and you also have um, potentially even more names that have not come out. Um, you have all these names potentially just becoming a bigger player in the healthcare space, especially for Amazon. And that's something interesting because it could mean uh, potential synergies with its existing products. And this is where it's starting to heat up. Uh, like you pointed out, market cap for Signify Health is just $5 billion, but the auction could value it at more than $8 billion. Already in response to the news flow, we've seen the shares of Signify jump more than 30% on Monday. So this is really heating up as we see more details of the bid coming through. Uh, for now, we are not near the finishing line yet. So this is uh, something in the early stages of um, discussions. One month ago, we reported that Amazon was acquiring another healthcare company, One Medical, and that was Amazon's first major acquisition since Andy Jassy took over from Jeff Bezos as Amazon CEO last year. What do you think Jassy sees in this latest acquisition target? It is about coming into healthcare, but what is it about Signify Health in particular? Yeah, I think it's for Amazon a play on data and this is where health data I think is the next big gold mine where if you have an idea of trends in the healthcare space and if you can get targeted data of who needs what you can sell them what they need and especially for Amazon which is pretty much selling almost everything and they have the products at home as well which can some people say spy or some people say help you. Um, they will be able to figure out what you need before you even know it. Oh. No, by just studying the data, the trends, the preemptive trends, like are you having a headache tomorrow? No, the signs and symptoms are there. And then they could possibly suggest things that you might need before you even know you need it and even send you some samples perhaps in future. So that's really a future potential scenario that could play out for Amazon as it tries to uh, just synergize all its ecosystem with all the products it has. I had a martial arts partner like that. He wouldn't know where I was going to put my hand before I put my hand there. <laughs> now, when I look at Signify Health's website, the company stresses advanced analytics and technology in the first paragraph about its business. That is a type of language that Amazon likes and it could help explain why it wants to add Signify to its new healthcare portfolio. Amazon shares fell 3.6% overnight. They are trading a bit higher in 
in after hours action, I notice. All right, the next two companies on our corporate overview this morning are homegrown. They're well-known names, Singtel and Singapore Airlines, and they're making headlines for very different reasons. Singtel is reportedly ready to sell its cybersecurity business trust wave. Ryan, how much is Singtel expected to make from this sale? And of course, why does it want to sell trust wave? Yeah, for Singtel, it's all about this all ongoing story about transformation, where Singtel is trying to streamline its business to what it sees will be the future story for its business, which is in 5G and data centers, not so much with everything else. And this is what it's been doing in the past few quarters. Uh, and the latest in focus is Trust Wave Holdings. That is the cybersecurity business. So it could raise about $200 million to $300 million if they manage to get a buyer. So they are talking to financial advisors for potential sale, still early stages. Uh, if they don't get the right deal uh, in place, they might not sell it yet. But the intentions are there. Mm-hmm. So this will all help to raise cash and put the cash to better use elsewhere, which is looking at 5G operations, things like IT services and data centers as the new growth engines. We've already seen it play it out um, in the likes of its advertising um, MOB, which it just sold for around $240 million to Tremor International. Mm. And quite similar to MOB, Um, The Trust Wave Holdings business is not really profitable. So it is just divesting what's not really working out for them. Singtel shares are trading moderately higher over the past month, but they are up nearly 15% since the beginning of the year. Next up, Singapore Airlines. Uh, Ben Paul, our colleague, has penned an interesting article about Singapore's flag carrier Today in our sister publication, The Business Times, last month, ahead of SIA's annual general meeting, the Securities Investors Association of Singapore, CS, asked SIA how it's planning to balance the interests of shareholders and other investors. Now, you may recall that during the pandemic, SIA raised billions through the issue of new bonds, mandatory convertible bonds. SIA gave a perfunctory reply to CS's questions at the AGM, but Ben Paul argues that a more considered answer is required so what is the potential conflict here? Yeah, I love Ben Paul's articles. Uh, mm. They have so many interesting points um, being raised. And sometimes I read it twice just to digest everything. <laughs> at least twice sometimes. <laughs> and this is where he is putting up for debate whether there is a conflict of interest uh, with what SIA has on the table. Uh, bear in mind, during the COVID-19 stretch, mm-hmm. SIA was going through quite a hard time, like many other airlines, and they sold some MCBs. These are the mandatory convertible bonds. Pretty much they are bonds until SIA decides to redeem them. Or if they don't redeem them, they are converted to SIA shares. So that's how they work. Um, so this is where the potential conflict of interest arises. So the backstory is SIAS, the Investor Association, asked SIA how they would manage these MCBs because of what Ben Paul points out could be a potential uh, conflict of interest between MCB bondholders and equity holders. Because what happens is when MCBs are converted, they become new shares and they have a potential dilutive effect, which will then bring down the share price theoretically. So that is what could happen. So uh, the question here being put forth is what is SIA doing in terms of figuring out what is the pace of redeeming these bonds, how much and how fast it wants to redeem these bonds, because that will have an impact on the share price. And it has to figure out as well how it wants to please or who it wants to please more. The bondholders, uh, because 
you have to bear in mind the earlier they redeem, the less they have to pay because these bonds, every year that goes by, the interest rate they have to pay or the coupon rate they have to pay goes up as well. For example, it has to pay about 5% or it's between 4 to 6% and the step up, the next step up is at 5%. So that is one thing they theoretically should try to avoid having to pay more interest by redeeming early. But then the side or the other point of view is what are they going to be doing in the near term? Do they need the cash now to invest in things like competition, getting market share, no, just buying more planes. So do they use the cash now to redeem or invest? So it is a bit of a, mm. uh, I guess, tug of war between priorities right now. SIA shares have been trading within a narrow range for the past month, but they are up about 8% from the beginning of the year. All right, let's zoom out now. Take a look at markets. It wasn't a pretty picture on Wall Street overnight. I have to say the Nasdaq fell 2.5%. S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average both dropped about 2%. Now, among the reasons cited for the sell-off skepticism amongst investors about inflation. That's right. As Bloomberg puts it, a new survey is a sober warning for Wall Street and beyond argues that the Fed is still on a collision course with financial markets. Tell us more, Ryan. Yeah, the short story is what goes up must come down and it is still going down. So going by what we've seen in the past few years, we've seen a huge bull market and things seem to be unwinding as the Fed starts to normalize policy and going into the Jackson Hole Symposium, bets are still being placed on whether the Fed will become more aggressive. So it's been going back and forth. Will they do it 50 or 75? So it's just really quite tough to call in this environment. And so much so, investors, many of them are just staying on the sidelines. Some of them spooked away. And some of the market watchers are saying, hey, this bear rally or bear market right now is likely to go even further down. And this is something they are warning could happen if you have all these inflationary pressures still in play uh, because what is likely to happen is the cost of living. All those cost pressures are unlikely to go away anytime soon, even after the Fed finishes if it's tightening, even after um, the inflation numbers come down. The effect of those price increases they've seen won't come down as fast as the data. So this is something that could continue to play out in terms of pain for some of these businesses. We may learn more about the Fed's plans this week following its annual meeting in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Meanwhile, the US is raising rates. China is cutting them further. Ryan, what's the latest from PBOC? It looks like good news because it is stepping in to help out with more accommodative policies. So China is cutting its lending rates again. And this is just one week after it cut two interest rates in what was a surprise move. So looking at what the PBOC did, uh, they cut its five-year loan prime rate by 15 basis points to 4.3% mm -hmm. and lowered its one-year loan prime rate by five basis points to 3.65%. So all in in the name of helping to make borrowing cheaper, so to speak. Uh, but the, I guess, tough part to answer is, is there actually demand? Even though rates are cheaper, will people take up more loans? And it does not look like there is such a strong demand, even though rates are lower. So that is going to be one obstacle for the PBOC to figure out um, how low they can go and what else it can do to just shore up the appetite because you have a lot of reluctance by 
businesses and investors to take up new loans, for example, to buy houses because of a crisis of confidence in some of these developers. So it has obstacles beyond interest rates to tackle. In commodity markets, analysts say that bearish sentiment has taken hold. West Texas crude is trading at around 90 US dollars a barrel. It is down about 18% over the past three months. And the oil producing countries are not happy about that. In fact, Saudi Arabia has issued a warning to the markets. Why is that, Ryan? Ooh, this is where things go back and forth as well. Mm-hmm. Oil, we've seen in the early part of this year, is being going up. And then finally, they came down a bit. Uh, as we saw markets adjust to those lower prices. Um, It is interesting to see how OPEC Plus, led by Saudi Arabia, is warning that there's a bit of disconnect with what's playing out in the futures market and what are the fundamentals happening on the ground. So this is where if you study the volumes being traded on the market, they have been below average. So the sell-off we've been talking about and seeing in recent weeks has been compounded or worsened because of the lower volume and amplified. So he's saying that is just distorting the what he calls or believes will be the fair price or should be the fair price of oil. And in response, he is in a way warning that the next OPEC Plus meeting could see them tighten supplies in order to bring up prices. And for OPEC Plus and many producers, they would typically enjoy higher prices and not so much low prices because they would benefit more and they have to um, restock their coffers from COVID-19 spending. So something Mm -hmm. that is um, just helping to stem the, I guess, bleeding in oil prices. And we've seen oil prices slightly recover in the wake of his comments. Time now for the Elon Musk files. You knew it had to happen sometime today. The trial between Twitter and Elon Musk is fast approaching. Musk is trying to pull out of the deal to buy the social media giant. And in the latest news, Musk is subpoenaing his friend and Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey. Ryan, what do you think about this? It is a very interesting chapter. Would you subpoena a friend? It is How really many a lot billion of was involved? Ooh. This is the question. Well, here is where the next chapter is being written, where Elon Musk is subpoenaing his friend and former Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey. So it's all about those debates around Twitter fake accounts, how many bots they've got. And of course, part of a wider argument around uh, whether Elon Musk is obligated to go through with his deal to buy Twitter for $44 billion. So that's hinging on this debate theoretically, around spam bots. Uh, And part of that conversation or that debate requires data. Twitter says it's put forth all the data that Elon Musk needs. Elon Musk says he doesn't have enough data. So he's been trying to get data from former employees. And the latest one is Jack Dorsey. Uh, We don't have a lot of details about what he's trying to get or can get from Jack Dorsey. Uh, So we will have to wait for more reports to come through or the next episode of the Elon Musk chapters. Indeed. 44 billion involved. In a related story, Musk's lawyers are seeking to squash a lawsuit by Twitter shareholders. They say that the case is flawed because the losses are hypothetical. Do you think this argument carries much weight? 
You know, everything about Elon Musk is hypothetical. He makes a lot of um, mm. conjuncture and, I guess, theories about how things should be or can be. Uh, anyways, back to this case. So at the crux of it is how one shareholder is unhappy or at least one investor is unhappy and trying to target Musk for reneging on his contract where, of course, we've been talking about that $44 billion deal to buy Twitter, uh, saying Musk has been coming up with lame rationales to get himself out of the deal so he is suing Elon Musk for doing so. Uh, but Musk, in return, is saying, no, he should not be subject to this and is applying for this lawsuit to be thrown out because it's flawed as it casts uh, Elon Musk as a controlling Twitter shareholder. But he points out he owns less than 10% of Twitter uh, when the lawsuit was filed. So he does not have any board representation or influence. So that is something he says you know, does not make him obligated to go through the deal or at least stand to be targeted by these, uh, this investor. Yeah, this is an investor that holds 5,500 Twitter shares and says, has described what Elon Musk has been doing in terms of trying to dodge the deal as um, relying on lame rationales for reneging on his contract. All right, it's time now for a segment that I call In Other News. So there are a couple of headlines that I want to chat with you about, Ryan. First up, are you a Game of Thrones fan? Yes, uh, until the last episode. <laughs> Oh, you didn't like it. I did not like the ending. Okay, I can't remember. It was so far back. Uh, A new prequel to Game of Thrones is now out on HBO Max and it's called House of Dragon. It's a Targaryen history. So many people wanted to watch the debut. So many, in fact, that HBO's servers went down. A global monitoring service called Down Detector reported more than 3,000 outages. What do you think? I have my conspiracy theory hat on, right? So I'm thinking maybe they thought, hey, this would make good headlines. Maybe if we somehow had a crash, which would show so many people wanted to watch House of the Dragon, it would then create a lot of buzz and maybe even more people watch it. Interesting, interesting. Just a theory. I mean, there is a pattern. Earlier this year, the finale of Stranger Things also sent Netflix's platform crashing. Hey, we're talking about it, so maybe it works. <laughs> Next up, I am a fried chicken fan. There is no secret here. Uh, I think you are as well, right? Yes, um, in moderate amounts, of course. <laughs> this is interesting because we've seen how prices of almost everything has been going up and it looks like it has made headlines in South Korea. Indeed, they are in the midst of a fried chicken war, supermarkets in particular. And despite inflation, they are drastically reducing prices of fried chicken because they want to pull in the consumers. And Koreans are waiting in long lines for the chance to buy into it. Hmm, yeah, this is where we've got, of course, chicken prices going up as well. But it looks like some of them are taking advantage of the love or appetite for chicken by making a bit of a... I guess lost leader of sorts by saying, hey, we've got chicken on discount and come in to buy your stuff, your groceries, and maybe they can buy other stuff as well. So grocery stores, um, as well as retailers, just slashing prices of fried chicken Mm-mm. by as much as 66% to just cash in on um, this consumer angst. How long would you wait for discounted chicken Ooh, in a queue? It's a tough one, right? It is. Time versus money. <laughs> if I have a lot of time, maybe I could do some of my chores in a queue, like clear my emails. 
Good, good call. Fried chicken is big business over in South Korea, so it makes sense, I guess, to line. Let's check in on how stocks are doing this morning. We are 24 minutes into the local trading day. The Straits Times Index climbed half a percent yesterday to 32.62. How's the SDI trading this morning? Yeah, across the region, it's been under pressure, pretty much in the red tracking the drop on Wall Street overnight, which was instantly the worst drop in two months. And we've got STI down by 0.3% at 3,253. And looking across the 30 constituents, we've got at the bottom... UOB down 0.8%. Another bank in the red is DBS down 0.7% at 3256. Uh, rounding up the bottom three, Jardine Matheson lower by 0.7% at 5206. And looking at the top of the table, we've got Tybeth up 0.8% at 65.5 cents. SIA in focus in the business times is up by 0.4% at 5.40. Uh, of course, the other one in focus this morning, we're talking about Singtel. Uh, Singtel, of course, in the news for reportedly in talks to sell its cybersecurity arm trust wave is now up by 0.4% at 2.67. Thanks very much. Before acting on the information on Money FM. Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.